Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sports Business Radio launched in 2004. Brian Berger has interviewed the biggest names in sports and business. Let's step into the Sports Business Radio vault and look back on some of our favorite conversations. This week for Thanksgiving, we look back at two conversations with some of our most charitable guests, Dick Hoyt and Warwick Dunn. Now, enter the Sports Business Radio vault. Now, here's Brian's interview with Dick Hoyt from November 2009. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. You know, many times we erroneously put our athletes on pedestals, and they really have no business being there. I'm about to introduce you to a man who has teamed with his disabled son, Rick, to teach us all about what a real hero is. 66-year-old Dick Hoyt and his 45-year-old son, Rick, have competed in countless marathons and triathlons. Dick pushes his 110-pound son, Rick, when they're running. He pedals him when they're biking, and he tows him on a raft when they are swimming. Honestly, I don't think I've ever heard of a more incredible feat than the feats Dick Hoyt and his son, Rick, perform regularly in over 200 triathlons, five Ironmans. They've competed in 25 Boston marathons together. He's even hauled his son, Rick, across the U.S. on a bike. It is my extreme pleasure to be joined today by Dick Hoyt. Dick, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. Dick, let's start at the beginning of your incredible story for those who may not be familiar with it. Your son, Rick, was born with cerebral palsy. He was unable to control his limbs after complications during birth. Doctors told you and your wife, Judy, soon after he was born that you should probably institutionalize him. You didn't listen to those doctors. What gave you the strength, you and your wife, to be there for Rick and and give him the care he needed? Well, you know, the doctors really couldn't tell us very much about how Rick was going to progress or uh, anything. And so what we decided is that we just bring Rick home and bring him up like any other child. And, and this is what we have done. Rick has been mainstreamed and included all of his life. You know, today Rick, Rick is 45 years old and he's uh, graduated from public high school. He graduated from Boston University. He lives all by himself in his own apartment. And Rick and I have competed in four, over 948 athletic events in the past 26 years. And, uh, and we just knew that Rick was smart. We could tell when we were talking to Rick that he'd look right into our eyes. So we knew he understood, you know, everything we were saying. And we tried to get him into public school, and they, they turned us down. They said, no, he doesn't understand. He won't be able to learn. So we met some engineers from uh, Tufts University, and uh, we, we told them. And, you know, we talked to them a little bit, and they said the same thing. The school department said that he wouldn't be able to learn. So we, we told the uh, engineers to tell Rick a joke. So 
they told Rick a joke, and Rick cracked up laughing, and he said, wow, maybe there is something there. So they said, if you can get us $5,000, we'll build a communicating device for Rick. And that was 32 years ago now, and $5,000 was a lot of money. Right, a lot, family, money. <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah. But the Hoyt family raised the $5,000. We gave it to the engineers from Tufts, and they built what was called the TIC, the Tufts, Tufts Interactive Communicator. And the, the engineers were coming to our house, and everybody was betting what are the first words Rick is ever going to say. <laughs> well, his, his mom saying it's going to be, hi, Mom, and me to Dad. No, it's going to be, hi, Dad. Well, the Boston Bruins were going for the Stanley Cup, and the very first words he ever said was, go Bruins. So we knew right then and there that he knew everything that was going on, and he loved sports. So we took Rick with his tick to the school department, and the principal of the school took him in a room with some school teachers. See, before they were saying his mother and father were answering for him. So they asked him some questions, and he answered them correctly, so they didn't accept him in the public school. And then when Rick was 11, uh, you know, I guess he came to you. Tell me the story of how he came to you, and he said, Dad, I want to race in a five-mile race with you. Yeah. Rick was attending a, a South Middle School out in Westfield, Massachusetts, and his gym teacher really got involved with Rick with all the different gym activities with all the other kids. And he was also the basketball coach at Westfield State College. And he used to take Rick to the basketball games. Well, at one of the basketball games, they made an announcement that one of the cross players from the college was in an automobile accident. He was paralyzed from the waist down. So they're going to have this charity road race to try to help him raise some money so he could pay his medical bills. And when Rick came home from that basketball game, he told me all about it. And he said, Dad, I have to do something for him. I want to let him know that life goes on even though he's paralyzed. I want to run in the race. Well, at the time, I was 40 years old. I was not a runner. I used to run maybe three times a week a mile each time just to try to keep my weight down. But uh, And that's all we had was a, a prescription form-fitted form wheelchair for Rick. And we had a hard time pushing him in it, never mind running in it. But we went down. It was a five-mile race, and they gave Rick and I the number double zero, and the gun went off. And we took off with all the other runners, and everybody thought that Rick and I would just go to the corner, turn around, and come back. Well, we didn't. We finished the whole five miles coming in next to last, but not last. That's one thing. We've never been last in any of the events that we've been in. And then when we get home from that race that night, Rick wrote on his computer, Dad, when I'm running, feels like my disability disappears, which was a very powerful message to me. If you think about it, somebody who can't talk, use their arms and their legs, and now the disability seems to disappear when they're out there running. He just called himself Freebird, and all of a sudden he was free. But, you know, there's only one problem after that race. I was disabled. I didn't know you had so many muscles in your body. <laughs> yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't walk for about two weeks. Well, I've read so I, the story. I mean, all these races that you've competed in, this is superhuman stuff, Dick. This is not, I couldn't do this by myself. What you're doing with your son is literally superhuman. Where do you, where do you get the, the energy to do this? Is there well, some, it's just amazing guess, to me. It's, I just draw all the energy from Rick. Rick and I have a very special bond together. He, he inspires me and he motivates me. To me, he's the competitor. And I'm out there just loaning my arms and my legs so that he can compete. You know, he, he's a fighter and he's, he's never going to give up. And, and it, it, it just, it's just unbelievable what we've been able to do and even the times that we've been able to run. I mean, we never expected to be running a, part, a marathon. And a triathlon, you crazy, running a bike across the United States. My other two sons say, you, you two guys are nuts, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, but we really, you know, we, 
we really enjoy it, and uh, we're helping out so many people. And you know, now we're helping people all over the world, and it's it's unbelievable. And uh, you know, every time we go to a race or something, people come up to us and they say, "Hey, you guys, we want to thank you because we saw you guys out there doing." It. They said, "Wow, if they can do it, we can do it." And now we're in the best shapes of our lives thanks to you. You know, and now people are out running marathons and doing triathlons. Dick, when you started. Who, who are your biggest detractors? I mean, people must have looked at you when you said, like you just said a moment ago, hey, we're going to do marathons, then we're going to graduate to triathlons. People must have looked at you like you were nuts. Well, they really did, yes. Um, well, actually, when I first, the first race I ever pushed Rick in, uh, I got some telephone calls and uh, letters from people that had, you know, the families that had disabled children with them. And they said, what are you doing dragging your disabled son uh, through all of these races? What, are you just looking for glory? And see what they didn't realize it was my son dragging me through all these races. Huh. And, yeah. that, you know, it's been 30 years, 35 years since you started. And, you know, take us back to that time and then to today. Disabled athletes, I hope, are being treated better. And I think you've probably had a large part in the treatment of disabled athletes in the last 30, 35 years. Well, I hope so, because, you know, when Rick and I first started, we went over to do our first race, and they didn't, nobody wanted us in the race. Nobody come near us. Nobody talked to us, you know. But finally, the overall race director said that we could run, and we ran. And, you know, there was 300 runners in this race. It was a 10K race, and Rick and I finished 150th out of that. And then after that, Rick and I would go to a different town in a different city, and run, and finally people started coming up to us and talking to us, and they could see that, that Rick had a personality, a sense of humor, and he loved to be in the middle of running with everybody else. And then we tried to get into the Boston Marathon, and they turned us down, too. They said, no, you can't run because you're different than anybody else. So we applied, you know, through the wheelchair division that runs in the Boston Marathon, and they also turned us down. They said, no, you can't run because you're different than anybody else. But what they did say is, if you want, you can line up behind us and run, and that's what we did in 1981. We ran up, we lined up behind the regular wheelchair athletes, and we ran our very first Boston Marathon, and we ran it in three hours and 18 minutes, which beat 85 percent of Jeez. all the other runners. That's incredible. And, my, my guest is Dick Hoyt, part of Team Hoyt. You can learn more about Dick and his incredible story with the son Rick at TeamHoyt.com. You know, you were—I didn't mean to cut you off there, uh, Dick, but. I read a quote from you last year. You know, you said first they wouldn't even let us race in the Boston Marathon, and, and now we have a seat at the head table. That's got to be an incredible feeling. It really is, yes. You know, we ran again two more years unofficially. We ran in 1982 and 83. We ran under three hours at 258 and 259, and still they wouldn't let us be official entrants. So in 1983, I talked to Will Clooney, who was the executive director of the BAA, and asked him why we couldn't be official entrants. And he said it was because we didn't have any qualifying criteria. And what he meant by that is Boston is the only marathon in the world where you have to run another marathon a certain time depending on your age. Well, at the time, Rick was in his 20s. I was in my 40s. So they were using Rick's age for us to qualify. And that meant we had to run under two hours and 50 minutes. So that fall, we went down to Washington, D.C., to the Marine Marathon, which is called the People's Marathon. And anybody can run in this marathon, and they always get over 13,000 runners. But they don't get the elite athletes because there's no cash awards. It's just regular trophies and plaques. And Rick and I went down there, and we ran a 245-23, which qualified both Rick and I for the Boston Marathon. We submitted uh, official certificates, and we've been official entrants ever since. As a matter of fact, 
1996, the 100th running of the Boston Marathon. Rick and I were honored as Centennial Heroes by the BAA and their sponsor, John Hancock. So we have come a long way, and we've been able to break down a lot of barriers along the way. Dick, you and your son, Rick, have competed all over the world. What's your favorite all-time experience uh, racing together? There's so many of it. It's unbelievable. You know, I'd have to say, you know, that, that very first race that I was able to push my son in. And, and what has happened from then is just unbelievable. If you ask Rick that question, he'd tell you it would be the Boston Marathon. And if it comes down to one race a year, he'd like it to be the Boston Marathon. But I think my favorite one really was uh, the 1989 uh, Ironman Triathlon out in Kona, Hawaii, because uh, President uh, Ronald Reagan uh, was in Boston, and uh, he was watching the Ironman, and he said he usually doesn't watch the whole thing. But him and Nancy watched the whole thing because they wanted to see if we were able to finish it. And he called me up and he says, if you're ever in California, give me a call. I'd like you know, to meet you guys. And if I'm in Boston, I'll call you and, uh, and we'll get together. And so Rick and I were out in California and we went to his office and, and met him. And it was really quite an experience. What a thrill. We've only got a few minutes left. Unfortunately, you're traveling the country now. You're giving motivational speeches. Listen, anything you're talking about, I'm listening to. Tell me about that and uh, what you're doing these days besides racing. We, we are doing a lot of speaking engagements now. As a matter of fact, I'm averaging about uh, anywhere from 12 to 15 uh, speaking engagements a month. And we're actually, we're traveling all over. I'm out here in California right now. And I was in uh, Tucson a couple weeks ago in Phoenix and and I was down in Atlanta, then I was in Orlando, and it just keeps going on and on. But it's a lot of travel, it's a lot of flying, and it's not fun flying anymore. But, you know, it's so important to get out there and try to motivate and inspire these big companies that's hiring us to, to, to get their salesmen to motivate and inspire. And when we get through doing our presentation, people look at us and say, wow, we thought we have problems. We don't have any problems at all. So, again, you're the eternal optimist. You're someone who's definitely turned lemons in the lemonade. Uh, what's your advice, anyone out there who may be depressed or just uh, down about the hand they've been dealt in life? Well, our message is yes, you can. There isn't anything that you can't do. There's no such word as can't in the Hoyt vocabulary. And you just got to go out there and do the very best you can and never give up and never stop. And, and that's, that's how we live our life. We, we just live it to the fullest and we just don't take no for an answer. Dick, you epitomize the human spirit. You know, I think you're what we all strive to be, you and your son, Rick. You're an inspiration to me and anyone who's heard this story. And, you know, I really wish you the best of luck. I'm pulling for both of you, and uh, thanks for making time for us this week. Well, thank you very much. I really enjoy talking to you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. When it comes to your health and longevity, you hold nothing back. You understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build strength, speed recovery, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, 
You'll also unlock real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash SBR. That's insidetracker.com forward slash SBR. Now, here's Brian's interview with Warwick Dunn from May 2021. My guest is Warwick Dunn. He is a limited partner with the Atlanta Falcons, former star NFL running back with the Tampa Bay Bucks and the Atlanta Falcons three-time Pro Bowl selection, AP NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year in 1997, Walter Payton Man of the Year in the NFL in 2004, finished a 12-year career with 10,967 yards, 49 touchdowns. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Warwick Dunn. Warwick, how are you? Thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. No, I appreciate you going through all my stats, making me think about like, man, I need to go back and, and get a couple more touchdowns, a couple more <laughs> yards. <laughs> yeah, I've had guys on this show and they've said that. They're like, oh, I need 10 more yards to, you know, Eddie George and uh, Tiki Barber. You know, they just want a few more yards to move up that list. You uh, were a small running back, but so effective. And, and I would say, you know, such a great running back when it came to running the ball, but also catching the ball, blocking, you did it all. Where did your skills develop? What, was it at Florida State? Did it develop before then? Talk to us about how you got your start in football. Well, I, I, you know, my, I think my skill set really started early. I started playing at seven years old, being the smallest guy out there, you know, just playing with the kids in the neighborhood. And being the last to be picked after a few games, I was first being, you know, I was the first pick because no one could tackle me. And after that, just over the years, you know, I just wanted to run the football. But once I started playing uh, peewee football in Louisiana, one of my coaches, and he's my pops, I call him my pops today, father figure, he moved me to receivers. He said, you need to learn how to catch. We know you can run, but you need to learn how to catch the football. If you want to score a touchdown this year, you're going to learn how to catch. He moved me out to receiver and just really worked on my overall game. So I think over the years, I started to just really understand different aspects of the game. I ended up playing quarterback in high school. Hmm. So I understood what quarterbacks go through, being a leader, running the option and so forth, throwing the football down the field. So I started learning reading defenses. And when I went to Florida State, every school, I tell you, recruited me to play defensive back. And that's not what I wanted to play. I wanted to play running back. And Coach Bowden made a deal with me when I went to Florida State to uh, play running back. He said, it didn't work out. I'll move to defensive back. So the rest, it is what it is. <laughs> I'd I say it worked out pretty well. Yeah, it, it worked out pretty well. But I just think over the years, though, being a smaller back, playing professional football, today that's more common. When I was when I came out, you know, I had some – the odds were stacked against me. So – you know, they didn't want to give me the ball on the goal line because I wasn't 240, 250. And I had to really prove myself over the years. So, you know, I, I just look at my stats and those things. It's like I played in the era where they really ran the ball inside and I had to prove that I could run inside. I wasn't that guy who was on the outside who can line up in this. You know, I lined up in the slot every once in a while, but that wasn't what we did offensively. Today, the game is a lot different. So uh, I'm, on, I'm only like 37 yards short of 11,000 Russians. So I can go back and get 37 yards. I'm sure I can make a guy miss. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good though. I have old 
I'm almost 15,000 yards total offense. I'm over 15,000, so total offense receiving and rushing. So no complaints. I mean, I had a great career. Um, do I think guys are better than me? Not at all. I'm still I'm competitive. That's how I grew up being competitive. That's great. Uh, what did you learn from Bobby Bowden, such a legendary coach? What did you learn on and off the field from him? He taught us, you know, more from the leadership perspective that it takes a team and we need to get to know each other, understand each other. Uh, I know before, while we were in camp, we would always go to a Catholic church and a Baptist church because he wanted us to realize we're from two different parts of the world or we're, you know, we're not all the same race. But when we play together on Saturdays throughout the week, we are one. We have to rely on each other and, and believe in each other. And he was one of those individuals that, to, that really just taught that concept. But he also led through Christian values. And, you know, he was one of those individuals that really, you know, led by example. And he's someone that I relied on for a lot of advice throughout my college years because that's just when I lost my mom. So just so thankful that he was there for me. Who made the biggest impacts on you uh, when you were in the NFL? Coach, teammate in the locker room, who kind of took you under their wing and, and said, hey, Rook, this is, this is how we do it? <laughs> well, I can name so many people that were there for me. You know, uh, I know Coach Dungy was, you know, someone who believed in me early on, but he also treated us like men. And we had to, to really you know, uh, be independent in the sense where, you know, our actions spoke, lot, spoke louder than words, and he really challenged us to be better. But I can tell you, when I first went to Tampa, this guy named Harden Nickerson, he was linebacker, played 100 years. And, <laughs> you know, I went to Hardy, I went to Hardy, and I was pretty much like, hey, man, you know, what it is to be a pro? I mean, how did you get to play so many years and this or that? And I spent time with him. I went to his home and had lunch and dinner with his family, spent one holiday with him because my family was in Louisiana. And I just learned, I learned a lot about body maintenance. You know, the little things are, are really what separates, you know, the good players from great players. And, and he just taught me so much that I just really took that information and I was focused on how can I be the best pro that I can be? And he helped uh, push me down that path. So one of the things that I think is most impressive about you and most memorable with you, we just rattled off all your incredible NFL stats and all the things that you've achieved. Warwick, I got to tell you, when I think of you, I, I think first of what you've done in the community and what you've done for charity. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, you lost your mom when you were 18 and you have uh, six members of your family. You became the head of the household at age 18. Um, the things that you've done with homes for the holidays to honor your mom. And what's the stat here? 189 homeowners, 512 dependents in 24 markets. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is what you call a legacy. Think of all of the families that you've impacted with your community work. First, take me back to when you're 18 and you've got to be the head of the household. You've got to find a house for your own family. How do you do that? Well, it was a you know, uh, a challenge. But I think, you know, being 18 years old, at the time my mom lost her life, you know, I, I couldn't be a kid anymore. I had to really grow up and mature uh, at an early age. And I, I grew up really fast. And I knew my mom, her dream was to run her home, never having an opportunity. You know, I went and 
paid for and bought our first home as a family at 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I knew her dream and what she wanted, but at the same time, I had no idea about the process, the steps. I mean, I, I wasn't mature enough to really understand the ins and outs of things. So I relied on a lot of individuals to help me through that journey. And I just think they were there for me as a resource. I couldn't make all the decisions because I mean, obviously I hadn't lived a full enough life to really guide and, and, and move us forward. So I relied on a lot of advisors and I took a lot of information um, that they share with me. Um, and I tried to make decisions based on their suggestions. And, and this is the same thing I did with Coach Bowden. I went to Coach Bowden in college and was just like, hey, coach, this is a situation. What should I do? He always gave me situations what he did with his kids mm-hmm. growing, you know, when, when he was a young father. So same thing at that age, just really just trying to find my way and find my path. And, and I had a lot of great resources and people that was there to support me. So now you're helping people, single parent families, find those homes. How have you done that? Obviously, you've done this to honor your mom, which is such a tremendous honor. But, you know, again, you've impacted all of these families who, like you said, were in positions that you were in when you were 18 and you didn't know how to handle the process. Well, I I just think, you know, over the years, I've learned so much more. And as I've gotten more mature, I started to really, I would say, understand what I was going through as a kid, you know, uh, talking with my mom, you know, starting at 14 years old, understanding the things that she wanted for us, you know, her dream and, and what having stable housing would mean. And I just think over the years, I've just really, I've really have grown to understand a lot of the issues that single parent families deal with, you know, creating that stability for kids. And and at first I can tell you, first starting this program, I was really focused on the parents because, you know, that was my mom. I was, you know, wanting to help single mothers and we went to single fathers. But over the years, I started to realize it's really not about the parents. It's really about setting a foundation for the kids. And, you know, I, I do know home ownership is a way to grow uh, wealth in this country. I mean, that's a huge issue with all the inequalities and so forth. But having a stable environment changes a lot of outcomes and, and it helps kids create a better future for themselves. So for me, it's really more about the kids now and, and how we move forward and how we help and support families. We'll talk more about work done charities in a minute. Um, you are a limited partner with the Atlanta Falcons. You played with the Atlanta Falcons. I've had Arthur Blank on this show. I know you two are very close from when you played for the Falcons. That's amazing. I mean, what a thrill it is, I'm sure, to be part owner of an NFL franchise. How did that conversation get started with Arthur Blank, and how did that all come about? Well, it's it's crazy how it started. I was on a practice field, you know, one day, and he would always come out and was like, hey, how you doing? Like, you know, towards this is my end of my career, just say, hey, what are you going to do after football? You know, and I, I had no idea. And, you know, he really guided me and wanted me to find answers to, you know, the next my next journey. And he asked me, did I want to coach? I was like, no, I don't want to coach. I don't think I have the patience. I would rather be up there with you. And I just pointed <laughs> to the top. <laughs> and it's like, and I think he just understood what I meant by that. I would rather be up there with you. And I just think, you know, when I was released by the Falcons, you know, I talked to him and he said, work, this is the tough part of business. 
this this is the part I I would I hate. But when you're done playing the game that you love, I would love to call your partner. And honestly, I still had no idea what he meant by that. I was mm. like, yes, sir. And you know, when I retired, we had conversations, and um, he was really pushing me to do something like this. And and I didn't understand the benefits of it in the moment. You know, today, by the grace of God, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, he was persistent and and pushing me to do something that would, you know, be an example, you know, betterment for my community, for my family and my community. And I, I'm so thankful for him and his relationship and the friendship that we've developed over the years that a lot of things wouldn't be possible without his guidance. So I'm um, I'm, I'm honored and blessed, you know, to have a great relationship with Mr. Blank. Tell me about your role as limited partner. Is Arthur Blank leaning on you for insight and perspective that only a player could provide? How are you involved in the organization? Well, I'm just like any other uh, owner. It's, uh, I think it's like seven or eight of us now. Okay. Um, a lot of partners. But, um, you know, I, when they ask, you know, I share what I know. Um, we, I, I question a lot of times but I'm not in the big meetings. I, I do interact with players and I do go and, and talk with the guys and, and try to stay engaged as much as possible. But, you know, I'm in the war room on draft on draft day and those things, but I don't get a chance to make the picks. I, I'm not out scouting and, and, and so forth. But, you know, if they ask me, I share. Other than that, you know, I'm a partner and I, and I try to advise as much as I can when, uh, when, it's, there's, when there's an opportunity. Seems like they got a generational tight end in the in the most recent draft in Kyle Pitts. I, I like that pick. Well, no, I, I, I mean he's he's uh, he's talented. You know, the only negative about him is that he's a Gator. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, being a Gator, you know, it's okay. But I, you know, I can look past that. He goes out and and, and beat Kyle Pitts, great player, and I mean he's talented. I look forward to uh, actually meeting him, and. Uh, you know, just just seeing how his career progresses. So it'd be it'd be great to see him definitely blossom. I mean, that's that's what we need in Atlanta, and I think we need to uh, continue to build on on what we've been doing so far. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. This episode of Sports Business Radio is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the fastest growing fantasy app ever released, and the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio. And with early investors like Mark Cuban. Kevin Durant, Adam Schefter, and Jared Goff, I know that Underdog Fantasy is made for people like me who are on the go and want something quick, easy, and fun to play. And today, we've got a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. If you sign up to Underdog Fantasy using the promo code SBR, they're going to double your first deposit up to $100. No risk, no long-term commitment, just sign up using promo code SBR and your first deposit is matched up to $100 for free. I already play Underdog Fantasy on the Underdog Fantasy app, but if I didn't, I'd use that free $100 and go for a pick'em contest where I can bet the over-under on individual players or team matchups. Or maybe the Best Ball Mania 3 contest worth $10 million in total prizes. All you have to do is draft a team for the season, no waivers, no lineups, no injury reports. Underdog Fantasy takes care of all of that for you. So do what I've been doing. Go to Underdog Fantasy, download the app, sign up with promo code SBR, and get started right away with a free match on your first deposit up to $100. 
Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. All right, you've got some work done charities events coming up. June 10th, you and Steve Weish from NFL Network are going to be uh, hosting an event, the Juneteenth Celebration, a night with work done charities. Um, there's going to be an engaging dialogue surrounding diversity, inclusion. There's going to be some NFL stars taking part in this. Tell us more about that. Well, it's going to be a conversation, Steve Weiss and I, that uh, night, June 10th, is really just to talk about you know, uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, just really put an emphasis on, you know, what we've been through as a, in, a, in this country over the last year with all the racial issues and inequalities and really just try to highlight it and, and talk with companies about, you know, creating more diversity, uh, equal equity, having more equity in inside the corporations so that we can see minorities, you know, uh, black individuals actually who've worked hard, who deserve that rise you know, do that. But just having more of a diverse uh, inclusion, I think is important for growth. Uh, we want everyone to be treated equal and fair. And I think we need to have a conversation about that. So I do challenge, you know, corporations to be a part of the conversation, hear what we have to say, uh, and, and let's help support each other uh, in that journey. And I think it's important that we talk about this important conversation because it has been a reckoning and it's been a year since the George Floyd death and so forth. I think so much has happened. So much has come to light. I think it's important that, you know, we don't be afraid of change and opportunity. And this is our opportunity to, to definitely make positive change. How do you find that conversations going a year later? I've been asking a lot of athletes that are we seeing progress and how do we engage more people in that important conversation? Well, I, I think we've had a lot of conversations and it was uh, important, you know, when it, in the moment. I just think now because we're a year removed, you know, I think uh, it's not as a high intensity topic today. And I think we need to continue to have that as one of the, you know, as conversation starters. And we can't forget, you know, where we are as a country with you know, just the, all of the history of racial issues and inequalities is like, how can we make sure that every American, everyone is treated equal, everyone has a great opportunity for success. And a lot of that stuff starts with housing. You know, that's the quickest way to grow wealth. But when we talking with corporations, how do we invest in communities to help every everyone in their community you know, have opportunity to be successful. When you have healthy communities, you have healthy individuals that are now going out and, and being great citizens. And that's what we should want for everyone in this country to have an equal footing opportunity to, to move forward. Hoffman Financial, Accord Care, PNC Bank, uh, RGT Wealth Advisors, Open Sesame, the Owens. These are some of the companies that are involved. You know, I would challenge other companies yeah. to get involved. Go to WDC.org for more information on how you can get involved. All right, this next event, June 25th, this sounds like one that, that I, would, I would really be excited to be uh, a part of. The Wine, Dine, and Cigars with Celebrities event hosted by Sage Steele, uh, Roe Parrish, Mike Hill. I mean, you're gonna have Michael Vick there, Malcolm Jenkins. You've got some other great guests that are gonna be part of this lineup. Tell us about that event. Well, it's uh, wine, dining, cigars. Uh, usually we do a golf tournament 
Uh, this year, we're changing it up and we're having a virtual experience where you can actually participate from your home. So we have a lot of corporate opportunities for corporations to come in and sponsor and be part of the event. And for me, what's most important is that we want to create long-term relationships, not relationships just for the moment. We want to be able to create a relationship with corporations that we can build on and impact their community. But I do have a lot of guys that are going to participate. Chris Tucker is going to participate, Gary Sheffield. So we do have individuals that understand our passion to help individuals and help families, but we do need the support of, of different corporations to continue the work that we're doing. And we're trying to get to home 200. I think it's important that the work going on almost 24 years, uh, we have a 92% success rate. The last time we did a, a check on all of our families that are in their home or they sold their home and bought another home. So we're creating stability for our families and the impact. And, and now we focus on, we have financial literacy, your needs instead of the things that you want. I grew up on a basis and I just want kids to understand and value that dollar uh, but we also incentivize them to start a savings account as well. And we match them up to $500 on a savings account. So if they invest in themselves, we invest in them. We also have a program that's called uh, Scope, where we, with the food uh, inequalities, food deserts uh, in this country, is, you know, a deal with food insecurities. We want to be able to provide a platform to educate them on healthy, quick meals to cook. But also, we got to the point now we want to incentivize families to grow vegetable garden, build their own vegetable box in their backyard and grow their own vegetables. So we're trying to really have a, a, an approach to we want to support the families through their journey of homeownership. And now we also have a scholarship program, too, where we try to help kids who are still trying to move forward, may need a little financial assistance while they're in school, but they're also giving back to their community. So uh, we're, we're trying to do a lot, but you know, we, we do have um, you know, great opportunity to be engaged with the, fine, uh, with the wine, dine, and cigars. You have opportunity to have a trivia room, blackjack room, you know, cigar rolling. You know, we're going to ship boxes, um, you know, custom boxes to individuals home so they can sit at home and participate in this in this uh, live online event. It's great. So again, uh, you've got the Juneteenth celebration on June 10th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. On June 25th, you've got wine, dine, and cigars with celebrities. Go to WDC.org for more information on that. Warwick, you've done a phenomenal job with Work Done Charities. There's a lot of athletes that want to start charitable foundations. They don't know where to begin. They don't know how to do it. You have done such an amazing job over all of these years of running Warwick Done Charities. If there's an athlete out there listening to this and they say, I want to give back to the community, but I don't know how to start a charitable organization, what's your advice? Well, one, um, I would tell an uh, individual, what are you passionate about? So one, you got to figure out what you're passionate about. And two, if someone else is already doing the work that you want to do, create a partnership. Don't reinvent the wheel. You have so many nonprofits that are competing with one another. I think it's important that we team up, create partnerships, and you can go in and advance uh, that nonprofit. And you could have say so if you bring in a lot of financial responsibility, I mean, financial opportunity to them, you could um, have the responsibility of really help guiding them in the direction that they should go. It's a lot of financial responsibility when you're dealing with the, the government and so forth. 
You know, I'm not about hiring family members. It's not about that, you know, so they can have a job. No, we have to be fiduciary responsible for donors dollars. You know, I'm no one in my family works for an organization. You know, they help support, they volunteer, but you know, that financial responsibility to your donors, but also to the government, you know, you can save yourself all those issues by just partnering with other organizations that are already doing the work that you're passionate about. When you have an opportunity to partner with someone business-wise, whether it's for community good or just a business deal, like what you've done with Arthur Blank, what are the elements that you look for in a business partnership? Well, I, I, one, I try to create a, a relationship. You know, being in the South is a lot different than being up North. In the South, we, we, we're we definitely pushing relationships because I think when you understand uh, an individual, their values and what they believe in, and that for me, I just care about people. Money, that stuff comes and goes, but people, we're here. I just care about helping people. And I think if you can hear it in my voice, and hopefully see it in the work that I do, but it's just a part of who I am. I am a, a family man. I, I don't know anything else, right? So because of what I've been through, and I try to build relationships off of individuals that it's not one-sided. We can help each other. And I'm all about partnerships. I'm all about helping us, you know, to all take a foot forward. And should we make money? Yes, you know, but we can be strategic and smart about creating these partnerships where we can move forward and really sending a message to people that this is an opportunity to come together, collaborate, and maybe come up with you know, new ideas. But I just think, oh, the message is that we can do things if we do it together. It's I grew up on a playing football team. You know, it's no IN team. We all have to rely on trusting each other to be successful. And I just think, uh, you know, the message is, hey, I want to create a, a positive team that's really about change and helping individuals have the same opportunities that we all had. And remember, we're not going to give anybody anything. Everybody has to do their part. We just want to give a hand up and not a handout. Work Done, you can find all his tremendous work with Work Done Charities at WDC.org. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Warwick Dunn. A reminder, two great events coming up with Warwick Dunn Charities. June 10th, you've got the Juneteenth celebration. And then on June 25th, wine, dine, and cigars. Warwick, I tip my hat to you. You make our world a better place. You're doing great work in the community. I have great admiration for you and uh, keep up the great work. No, I appreciate you having me on. Hey everyone, Brian Berger here. Roan is the new official menswear partner of Sports Business Radio. I love their product. I've been a fan for a long time. Did you know David Stern was one of their first investors? Roan makes the absolute highest quality, best fitting and most comfortable performance driven clothing for men. Their entire line places emphasis on an active, balanced and purpose driven lifestyle. I'm wearing my spar joggers. I've got them in uh, Heather Gray, I've got them in navy. I've got my moleskin commuter slim pant. I've got my regular black commuter pant. I've got my dress shirts. So when I'm out in in-person meetings, I have the nicer Roan product to wear. But most of the time, I'm working from home. And I've got my rain long sleeve gray Heather camo. I've got my rain long sleeve hoodies. 
I am wearing the shorts for workouts, the seven inch Mako shorts. So I'll tell you what, from top to bottom, whether it's casual or business wear, Roan has me covered. I know they're going to have you covered too. And Roan is offering Sports Business Radio podcast listeners 15% off your purchase. Go to Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com and enter code SBR15 at checkout, like Sports Business Radio 15, SBR15 at checkout. Receive 15% off your purchase. That's Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com and enter promo code SBR15 at checkout. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our team at Sports Business Radio, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, and our friends at CG Sports who power Sports Business Radio, CG Young, Matt Amerlin, Nicole Wardle, and Calvin Wirtz. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.